you know, I didn't even know you could adopt an 18 year old. And so those are the, the highlights of how our family came together. Now in that time, lots of cops being called, some holes in walls, broken banisters, threats, homelessness, a little bit of in and out of jail, threatening and somewhat pursuing ending their own life. Mm. Um, a lot. There has been a lot. Also, love, fun, hilarity, trips to Hawaii with this crew, trips to the Caribbean with this crew, uh, trip a trip to Disney World where one of them ended up shoplifting and we ended up at Disneyland Jail. That's a real thing. <laughs> we, yeah. We, yeah, so, you know, and yet the blessings, oh, the blessings. And I just love our family so much. And we're this crazy, crazy crew, this just wild, ridiculous family. And I would have it no other way. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. My guest today is a writer, comedian, speaker, sales guy, and podcaster of the Latter-day Lives podcast. He is a frequent flyer, a Lakers fan, and a Disney fan. Perhaps his most important roles are that of husband and father. He and his wife, Vanessa, are the parents of eight children, many of which they adopted and love just like their own. I'm pleased to present Sean Rapier. Sean, are you ready to share your story of hope? Oh, Tamara, thank you so much for having me on. This is fantastic. I really appreciate it. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. Sean uh, was blessed to interview me and we had so much fun on his podcast. And so I'm just I'm excited to return the favor here and get his story because he has a fascinating story. But first, let's break the ice a little bit here with how in the world you got into comedy. <laughs> and yeah, you were a stand-up a, comedian. <laughs> that's a really good question. So, um, and, and quickly, if people want to hear your story, they can go to Latter-day Lives. And your story <laughs> is beautiful. That podcast has already launched and people just love hearing your beautiful story. My own story, uh, getting into stand-up comedy when I was young, you know, everybody kind of fills a role in families, right? Mm -hmm. And my brother, my older brother, took uh, too many of the roles. He was the smart one, the successful one, the good-looking one, the athletic one. <laughs> and he was relatively funny, but, you know, comedy, the, the comedian, was kind of still out there. And so I jumped on it, and I found that I had sort of a, a little bit of an innate talent to make people laugh. When I was a little kid, I'd do funny things and I, there is power in laughter. Yes. And uh, I remember at times like the whole classroom, I'd be doing a presentation and I'd get the class laughing and I'd be like, oh, I can do this. And in high school, uh, I did a, um, I got into drama a little bit. Couldn't sing to save my life, but I sure <laughs> love doing comedy. And uh, so I kind of learned improv there. And then when I came, uh, when I was moved to Utah, I joined an improv group called the Garen's Comedy Troupe mm -hmm. and uh, continued and then went to Johnny B's Comedy Club one night and tried five minutes and fell in love. And that five minutes <laughs> took me to 
10 minutes, then 15 minutes, and then headlining, and then some touring, and a whole lot of corporate comedy. And yeah, so I, I kind of took it from there, and I still love it to this day. Oh, that's so fun. Oh, my goodness. So what are some of the favorite places you visited while touring? So, you know, I, I spent most of my time performing here in the state of Utah. I did all the comedy clubs here in Utah, and I did a lot of corporate events. One of the funnier places I went, though, there's a, an entertainer named Jason Hewlett, who is well worth looking up. Jason's an amazing guy. I've gotten the, the, the privilege of doing a lot of writing for Jason. He's an incredible guy. He and I have done a lot of shows together over the years, and we did one in Butte, Montana, Oh, that boy. was just so fun. We we got there. There was a big arena and we looked around. There was the only heads without cowboy hats were ours. <laughs> and we were in this big arena that normally I think hosted rodeos. And I just looked at Jason and said, brother, I do not know about this show. It just seemed <laughs> like, man, it was all Western all the time. And here we were somewhat city slicker looking and but we had a fantastic show and, and it ended up being really fun. But with the Garens, you know, we did a tour of the Pacific Northwest and that was really fun. We got to go to a lot of colleges, uh, which was neat. And uh, I've gotten to do some shows in California, in uh, Nevada, some in Arizona, mostly the West. I didn't really go out East. I became a corporate comic pretty fast and uh, really got into entertaining for companies, Christmas parties, and really stayed more in the Western U.S., I also have a full-time career that developed pretty soon thereafter, and that that made it so that comedy was more on the back burner. Right. That is, that's awesome. No, I think it's so fun that you've been able to use that skill. And, and just talking to you just like that, I think... I think most people would get the initial impression like, oh, this guy has it all made. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not true, right? (laughs) No, those people would be so wrong. Yes, I do not have it all made. So let's peel back the layers here a little bit and and talk about your schooling and and what that looked like and and how that felt. Yeah, so I was uh, born a long time ago, I like to say. (laughs) What is it? Steve Martin says I was born at a very young age. Um, Yeah, I I was born uh, in California, raised in uh, California. I was born in Orange County, but raised in San Jose, California and great parents. My parents are still married to this day and uh, good, good people. And, you know, I started noticing when I was when I was a kid, when I was very young, actually, I started noticing I'd be sitting in the classroom And all of a sudden, a teacher would call on me and ask me a question. And I had no clue what we were talking about. I didn't know what we were saying, whatever. And then sometimes I'd get to class and he'd say, okay, time to turn in your assignment. And I'd look around and go, "Um, what assignment? (laughs) And, you know, in the, this was uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. We just didn't really understand ADD. We, there wasn't an understanding of it. And it's very real. Um, it's something that, that I lived with and then compounded with that, I was told, which I think was very natural. Hey, you just don't try. You're just not listening. You're not trying. And I'd sit and I'd say, I am going to try today. I am going to listen. I'm going to pay attention. And oh my gosh, wasn't that fun last night, that TV show, where did they get that actor? I wonder if I could be an actor. Was that a real park he was in? And then next thing I know, teacher asks a question and I go, 
oh, for Pete's sake, I have no idea what's happening. And it was very, very difficult. And so I really struggled with that for a long time. Um, and my grades got worse and worse in, in junior high and, and, and then into high school. And by my sophomore year, I was apoplectic. I just, I couldn't do it. I was very, it became very rebellious. I became kind of angry uh, a little bit. And, you know, this was the eighties. So I showed it through all the punk rock trappings, you know, of mm -hmm. crazy hair and everything from the eighties. And I just didn't feel like I fit in. And then my junior year, I was struggling so bad that I had gone to my third high school, which was a continuation school. And I still just could not put the pieces together. And I came home one day and I said, mom, dad, um, I'm done. I will never go back to school. And I, I, if you're, whatever you're going to do, that's acceptable because it was such torture. You know, what's weird, Tamara, to this day, today, mm -hmm. I struggle going to my kids' schools for activities. Really? It's still an uncomfortable place for me. I do not like being at a school. It brings back, and I had great friends. I have friends I'm still friends with, in, in, especially in high school. But to this day, when I am in a school for a school assembly, I can't wait to get out of there. My youngest uh, is a junior now, Keaton. He'll be a senior next year. And then I'm done. And I'm actually really grateful. It makes me very uncomfortable to be in schools. And so I dropped out. My, my sweet mom said, we're going to pay for a GED course for you so that you can pre prepare and practice. It's a six-week course. And then you can take the GED. And I was like, mom, if I'm going to go to six weeks of school. <laughs> I'm just going to go back to school. <laughs> I'm not going to go sit in some six-week course. So I said, let me try the GED. I passed it, got my GED, and I was done. And that was really it for school. Later on in life, I tried going back to school at a community college. And uh, same thing, brought, brought back a lot of the same thoughts. And I just felt like there were other things I should be doing and could be doing. And, and so fortunately, I have a very scholastic wife who's a like, remarkable student. And uh, school is her life. She works for the school district as a therapist, as well as she is uh, a student finishing up a doctorate. So, wow. Yeah. That's she's in charge of the education of our kids. Our kids come <laughs> home, our kids come home and go, Hey, my grades are like C minus. And I'm like, high fives. Yes. <laughs> Passing grades. And then my wife looks at me and I go, I mean, what? No, not good. Not good. Is that not good? It's not good. Okay. Not good. I've just been informed C minus is not good. So yeah, I, I do other things in the family. Yeah. So let me ask you just a real quick question, diving a little bit deeper on the yeah. ADD. What are some of the things that you have found that have helped you be successful as an adult mm -hmm. that you wish you would have known when you were younger? So something that I don't know if it could have helped me when I was younger because it didn't exist, mm -hmm. but I live and die off of technology. And so like when we scheduled this interview, bam, it was on my calendar instantly. I have buzzers and alarms and calendars and reminders and emails. And, you know, I use uh, Evernote, the uh, note-taking app. I put everything into Evernote because it's searchable and then I can find stuff later on. Um, and that's been a big part of it. But then also just knowing, just knowing that I have these issues and letting other people know, because they're going to figure it out later, sooner or later. Sure. Just telling people, look, you know, the first time that 
they, they ask me a question and then they say, yeah, I was just telling you about this an hour ago and just saying, you know what, I'm sorry. I have some struggles with learning and, you know, I'm sorry about that. And, uh, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to me, but it's frustrating to others, you know, and I know it is and recognizing that it is and, and that that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's part of what I deal with, but I try hard. I really do try. And I try listening. Um, one thing that helps me, I tend to watch people's mouth a lot. Is that hilarious? What a weird thing. I watch sometimes if I'm having a hard time really focusing, and especially I have a hard time listening when there's a lot of noise around me. Mm. So I will sit and I'll kind of stare at people's mouths to really catch the words that they're saying. Wow. It's kind of an odd thing. But we didn't have any of that technology. What a blessing. iPhones and laptops and the web, and there are just lots of ways to structure things. But I'll, I'll tell you, if I don't put something in my calendar the minute I see it, yeah, not a chance. I'm going to remember it. <laughs> My calendar is everything. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because <clears throat> one of my kiddos has was diagnosed with autism and ADHD. And I just yep. remember watching um, other families, especially at church. Mm-hmm. And, and like some kids would like seriously sit on the row and not move. And then there was my <laughs> child who was trying to cry and climb under the bench and over the bench and around the side and throwing toys. And he just could not hold still to save his life. And I just remember thinking, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> Nothing. But, you know, it's just part of who he is. And, mm-hmm. and, and he does, you know, he, if he's sitting at the table, his leg is moving. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> and we have kids who have ADD issues. And so I'm pretty sympathetic toward it. Like I understand when they say, you know, I, I can't sit still, but also, you know, I'm, I'm able to tell my kids something important that I've learned over the years, which is nobody cares, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, congratulations. What, what do you want? You know, do you want an award for having a struggle? Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to tell my kids, there are three things that matter. God loves you. We love you. And no one owes you anything. So, you know, you have to figure these things out. Nobody's going to say, we were about to fire you, but then we found out you have ADD, so it's okay. We're not going to fire you now. Like, you can't make excuses. And these challenges, you know, they're real. We can share them. We can learn from them. But we, but it can't become like, oh, it's okay that I, you know, fail at life because I have challenges. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of setting the right expectations. Mm. That's that's very smart, and a, it's a good perspective to have on that. So let's dive a little bit into your kids. You have a very interesting um, blend of a family. Tell us My a little gosh. bit about that. Well, if you're ever on our street and you need Wi-Fi, I can get you the password. But just look for uh, the name of the network is Dysfunction Junction. That is our home. (laughs) We call our home Dysfunction Junction. And I don't want to know what our neighbors call our home. Um, (laughs) But uh, it's a a surprising number of times we'll be in Walmart or whatever. We'll see a police officer. Officer Williams, how are you? They'll say, good. How's your son doing? Or how's your daughter doing? Great. Thanks for asking. Let me tell you, since you haven't seen them, since you haven't been here in two or three months. Uh, mm. No, it's, it's, it's been a challenge, but I'll, I'll take it back to, you know, my, my wife and I got, we, we got married very young. Uh, you know, I, I was 22, I think, uh, when we got married. We actually are one of those really weird, I do not recommend, but it worked for us cases 
where um, we got married less than four months after our first date. And <gasps> yeah, that's a You're like one. my husband and I. <laughs> you guys too got very, married very, very quickly. Yeah. And we're coming up on, uh, let's see, I think it'll be, yeah, it'll be 27 years in September. So to, just Wonderful. over 26 years. Yeah. So we were going to be, though, the normal family. You know, we were talking about between three and four kids, say normal. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, that's what we were talking about. And uh, I was doing comedy. I was doing some acting. I was selling acting classes for an agency. I was doing commercials. I was kind of living the life of Riley. And, uh, you know, my wife was working for the the Provo School District um, as as an occupational therapist. And one day, talk about just rocking my world, she came home and she said, hey, there are two kids and we need to adopt them. Out of the blue, like, what? what? <laughs> and I had heard a little bit about these kids. And so I was, I was working doing all of these other things. And at the same time, I was also, and this is, I don't like to brag about jobs and stuff about how cool my jobs are, but I was selling frozen steaks door to door to make ends meet. That's a very glamorous job, knocking on people's door, asking if they want to buy frozen meat. <laughs> and so it was an interesting, that was an interesting place. A lot of high turnover. It was, Hey, anybody who could sign their name could get that job. Mm -hmm. I was good at it because I felt pretty natural, but uh, interestingly, we were working with a, I was working with a couple who were complaining because they had actually lost their children and to the state and they oh. thought it was unfair and they were complaining about how their children had been taken away. Meanwhile, I've got my wife coming home saying, Hey, you know, I think, I think we need to adopt these kids. And I was like, why are we adopting these kids? We're not adopting these kids. And, and then fatal flaw, my wife challenged me to pray about it because she had ah. gotten an answer. <laughs> Don't pray about something if you want the answer to be a certain way, because that's just not how, <laughs> not how prayer works, right? And so basically, you know, I had met the kids, and they were beautiful. They were a one and a two-year-old, bright red oh. hair, curly, beautiful, red cheeks, just beautiful kids. But the two-year-old uh, was autistic as well as some some fetal alcohol issues and all kinds of just real problems. And at two years old, uh, you know, he couldn't speak at all. I mean, just grunts and couldn't really formulate much of thought. No one really knew what was going to happen. He was very violent. He was an angry kid. And if he was excited, he would bite you. And if he was mad, he would bite oh. you. And if he wanted your attention, he would bite you. And But there was something in them that was so sweet. So I went and for a walk one night in the rain, super dramatic, cue the dramatic music, walking on a baseball diamond in the rain, praying. And I got an answer that, yes, these, these are your children. You are, you are going to adopt these kids. Now, this was an answer from God that I know. And so uh, we went in and said to the caseworker, great, caseworker agreed. Well, what happened was these particular kids had a foster mom good woman, love these kids, but she already had too many kids, couldn't adopt them. But she came over to our house. And when she saw this young couple, no clue what they're doing in a tiny little starter home, we paid $74,000 for our first home. It was built in 1947, I think, something like mm. that. Anyway, uh, she saw our home and she said, no, I'm not sending the kids to this young family. You don't know what they're doing. 
And she had neighbors who were quite well off, who had already adopted two kids who were looking for two more kids. And she went to them and said, you should adopt these kids. And they agreed. They said, great, we love these kids. We're going to adopt them. And the social worker came back to us, er, the uh, caseworker came back and said, um, we're really sorry, but this foster mom has threatened to sue if we give you these kids. Oh, my word. And so we're giving them to this other couple. I was devastated. Tamara, I, I was beside myself. We had prayed, and this was right before Christmas. We're planning on Christmas with a one-year-old and a two-year-old. We had no kids, nothing. We were gutted. We went to California to visit my family for Christmas. And I kept praying, and I didn't. I never want to second-guess God, but I kept thinking, why would I get an answer like this? Mm. And then one day, uh, a couple months later, my wife called me up and said, hey, you're not going to believe this. But the family that took in the kids are not able to keep them. And I don't know why. Wow. But the team has already met and they're going to give them to us. And I said, no, nah, I need to know more. I'm not jumping back in. I'm not falling for mm -hmm. this one again. So we went and met with this family one night. And we went in there and they were a very religious family. And we sat down with them. And we said, what is the story? And they immediately started to cry. And the mother said, we have two adopted kids who we know God sent to us. They are our kids. They are our children. Mm -hmm. And David and Krista, who are our kids, they said, she said, every night when I kneel down to pray with them, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit tells me, these are not your children. Mm. And she said, I can't take it anymore because I've fallen in love with them. And I still get that every night. And we still plan to adopt more kids. But we've told, been told again and again, they're not our kids. Mm. And they brought down those two sweet little kids who were sleeping in pajamas. And my wife and I held them. And the four of us sat there and sobbed our eyes out. And the spirit was so strong. And the next day, we went and bought a crib and a daybed and two high chairs and strollers. We, we went and I swear we cleared out a Toys R Us kids R Us. <laughs> And then the following morning at 8 a.m., we brought those kids home and they've been with us ever since. They're wow. 24 and 25 years old now. And uh, David, our son, is now living in a group home. But we had remarkably rough years in between, but he's now really thriving in this group home. And uh, our daughter, Krista, is a dog uh, groomer in Provo. And she was just over at the house Saturday. She's just doing wonderfully. And so that kicked off our journey uh, into adoption. Now, a couple of things, you, you kind of think, well, that must be the end of it because we're, we're handed these kids and it's right, all, right. it all works out great. Well, funny enough, we went to meet with the parents and uh, the birth parents, and they still hadn't legally been totally taken away yet. Uh, it was just trial separation. The goal was to reunite them. So we go in to meet with the parents. The parents walk in. Guess what? It's their coworker from selling frozen steaks. What? And their kid's therapist, <laughs> whom they had met my wife too. They're like, why is our coworker and our kid's therapist sitting oh here? Word. Well, guess what? We're married to each other and we're the foster parents for your kids. Yay. Oh. So we all sit down and have these meetings and we had already a good foundation and they kept telling us and the parents had a lot of struggles lot of struggles still do and they kept telling us especially the mom the dad was a little checked out but the mom kept telling us i'm sorry you will never be able to adopt these kids i will fight it and fight it until they're 18 years old and we 
will will never relinquish rights. One day the wife, my wife, Vanessa, calls me and says, get to the courthouse. They are willing to sign over rights. I jam over to the courthouse. What is going on? The the birth mom's sitting there crying. Like I said, the dad's kind of checked out. And the birth mom says, I realize I'm not going to win this battle. However, I need three people to get on the stand and testify that I love these kids. So my sister, my mom, and my best friend are all going to stand up one at a time and testify that I love the children so that it's on the record, right? Now, you want to talk about God's hand in things. Yeah. We're ready to do this. All they're waiting for is the best friend. The best friend's not showing up. She starts to panic. This is a sign. I can't do this. I need these three mm-hmm. people. I need three witnesses to tell my children. So it's in the court record that, that I love them. Mm-hmm. She finally says, I'm leaving. We're not doing this. Oh. I go walking over to her and I said, Annie, how long, how many times when we were working together, did you tell me how much you love those children? Let me be the third person. And she said, oh, sweet. Okay. So as her mom went up and said, yep, she loves them. Her sister went up and said, yep, she loves them. I went up and bawled my eyes out. I don't think I said anything comprehensible. I think I was just sobbing. She loves them so much. And I testified. And that was it. Just like that. They were legally free. And a few months later, we adopted them. And they've been with us ever since. Wow. So incredible journey with them. Uh, We then ended up having a son. Uh, Miles, uh, who's uh, 22 now, an amazing kid. And then we had another son, Keaton. And I was sure that we were done. That's it for kids. And then I was in church. Now, our our one son, David, he had so many problems and so many went through so much with medication and therapy that for a little while, he was actually at the state hospital. And they had him in there for a few months to try to figure out what was going on with his medications. So I went up there one Sunday to go to church with him, and I'm sitting there in church. My, my life was complete. Everything was good. And a man was speaking, and he said, those of you in this room are called to work with those who need you. And oh instantly, the Holy Ghost, the, God, the, the Spirit said to me, you will adopt a teenage daughter. <gasps> in no uncertain terms, Tamara, it was not... Hey, I feel like maybe, no, it was, and maybe it's because of ADD boy over here, but maybe I just needed to hear, you will adopt a teenage daughter. So I go home now, how am I going to tell my wife this? Right. (laughs) (laughs) But she got to spring the first two on me. So I go home and I just said, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, we're going to adopt a teenage daughter. Now, you know how sometimes spouses just have to be right. My wife said, I know. I've known this for a little while. She said, I've known this for a while. I've been thinking the exact same thing. And so we put in our name into the state. And knowing that there were lots of teenagers who needed homes, we put our name in. And uh, next thing you know, they start calling us. And they would call. And this might sound really strange to some people. But they would call and say, we have a young woman who, you know, needs a home. And her name is Jenny. And we go, Jenny, that doesn't sound right. It like didn't feel right. It was like, wow. no, that's not her. I didn't know who she was or what her name mm-hmm. was. But we'd go through the motions. We'd go down to the, the, the state building. We'd look through the file, whatever, and we'd pray. And we just didn't feel right about it. And this happened for several girls in a row. Mm. 
And then one day my wife called me and said, they have another young woman. Her name is Portia. And I went, ah, that's her. And my wife said, I know. And we, we could have signed the paperwork then. I received such a confirmation that Portia was our daughter. But we went through the process and Portia had turned down other homes. Like she did not, originally she didn't want to be adopted. When she came in, she had her hair down in her face, wouldn't look up, wouldn't speak to us. And we just loved her and were talking to her. And at one point she leaned over to her caseworker and said, I like these people. I think I could live here. And so sure enough, and Portia has been through some of the most horrific abuse in her life. Like the, the things that she went through would make any grown man cry. Like it's so the things that she went through, the trials and the struggles were just horrifying. And yet she was placed in our home. Um, she was 14 years old and we just absolutely love her. She'll be 30 in uh, June and we, we just absolutely adore her. So she was placed. So then that's it, right? We're done. No more. <laughs> that's it. And at this point, my wife comes home at some point and says, Hey, guess what? I got an email about a nine-year-old boy and his name is uh, JC and he needs a home and he's been through a heck of a lot. Um, parents uh, went through a bunch of addiction and it was bad news. And that time I actually went and when I prayed, I just went, Heavenly Father, whatever, just, you know, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, what am I going to do? It's very funny because when I look back at David and Krista, it was like, I'm going to pray and get an answer. I will step up and do the right thing. And this time I was like, yeah, sure. We got a bedroom. Yeah, send them, whatever. Like it's so, you know, this wasn't being put in our path just by whatever. And we knew. And so we adopted him, uh, JC our son, who is uh, 18 years old and is just a dynamite kid, a lot going on, comes from a, a background of a, a ton of abuse. You want to talk about a tender, tender mercy of the Lord. He loved his birth parents. That's one thing about adopted children. Some of them are very angry with their birth parents, but they love them. And if they had one wish, it would be to be reunited with their birth family. They all mm -hmm. want that. I want that. Who doesn't want that, right? Sure. And so... Um, but his mom and dad had a lot of a lot of challenges. And my wife, very shortly after uh, we brought him into our home, before he was even legally adopted, my wife had this strong feeling, hey, why don't we build a bridge uh, together? You and me, let's go meet your birth parents at a park and let's take some photos of you with them. Won't that be wonderful? And I was out of town on a business trip, but she packed up some food and they did a picnic and she took a bunch of photos of our son with his birth mom and his birth dad. And they had a wonderful experience. A couple of months later, very suddenly, his birth mom passed away. Oh. Actually, it may have been weeks. I mean, it was very, very shortly thereafter. But what did he know? He knew that his adopted mom loved his birth mom. Mm -hmm. And then... I don't know. I'm bad with timelines. Maybe a year later, his father passed away. Oh, wow. And thankfully, he was here with us. He had a safe home. And uh, just more energy. If we could find a way to bottle JC's energy, it would be amazing. And he's had some big struggles, really big struggles. Uh, you know, we have a lot of 
broken furniture and some holes in some walls, and yet he is doing so great right now, better than we ever expected. He is doing wonderful things, and he's 18. And then that led us to, uh, this was done. This was it. And then my wife got another email about a young lady named Chloe, uh, who was 14 years old. And and uh, sure enough, another just, we have a bedroom. Heavenly Father, is this the thing? Yes, it's the thing. She's your daughter. Guess what? She's your daughter too. And wow. so we brought Chloe in. And Chloe really was a challenge uh, in a lot of ways, and yet so sweet and so loving and so beautiful and cheery. And we have such a close relationship. She is now 22 years old. She comes over at least twice a week, stops by and hangs out with us and and uh, just a wonderful kid. So we adopted her. That was seven. She had a brother who is severely autistic, uh, verbal, but mm-hmm. will never be able to live on his own. And we met him a couple of times. He has a lot of behavior issues, a lot of rebellious anger issues. He's a full, full blood brother to to our daughter. And we he he came to her high school graduation. We we had him over to the house a couple of times, but didn't really know him. We got a call from the state and they said, hey, uh, he's about to turn 18 and time out and he doesn't have a family. And would you be willing to adopt him? And at that point, you got seven, what's eight? And Mm -hmm. so we adopted adopted him and uh, that was just uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, yeah, he's... And he's living in a group home. He and our other son, David, have become fast friends. They talk almost every day. They call me all the time saying, I was just talking to David and here's what's going on, you know, and they've got big plans together. I took David and his name's Cameron. Mm -hmm. I took them to Disneyland together. Wow, that was so fun. Uh, Just amazing. And so, you know, I didn't even know you could adopt an 18 year old, but apparently if you're older than, if you're more than, you have to be more than 10 years older. And the person has to be legally free, and then you can adopt them. And wow. so those are the the highlights of how our family came together. Now, in that time, lots of cops being called, some holes in walls, broken banisters, threats, uh, homelessness, uh, all kinds of, you know, some a little bit of in and out of jail, uh, one, a lot of in jail, Um threatening and somewhat pursuing ending their own life Mm. um a lot there has been a lot also love fun hilarity trips to hawaii with this crew trips to the caribbean with this crew uh trip a trip to disney world where one of them ended up shoplifting and we ended up at disneyland jail that's a real thing (laughs) yeah so you know and yet the blessings, oh, the blessings. And I just love our family so much. And we're this crazy, crazy crew, this just wild, ridiculous family. And I would have it no other way. So mm. that's a remarkably long answer to a very short question. No, but it's so fascinating to me. We're going to take a quick break. But when we get back, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into how Sean's perspective has changed since adopting all these wonderful children. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Tamara K. Anderson, and I want to share something special with you. When our son Nathan was diagnosed with autism, I felt like the life we had expected for him was ripped away. And with it, my own heart shattered as well. It's very common for families to feel anger, pain, confusion, and anxiety when a child is diagnosed. 
This is where my book, Normal For Me, comes into play. It shares my story of learning to replace my pain with acceptance, peace, joy, and hope. Normal For Me has helped change many lives, and I'd like to give this book to as many families as possible. We put together something I think is really special. My friends and listeners can order copies of my book at a significantly discounted price, and we will send them to families who have just had a child diagnosed with autism or another special needs diagnosis. We will put your name inside the cover so they will know someone out there loves them and wants to help. I will also sign each copy. You can order as little as one or as many as hundreds to be shared with others. So go to my website, TamaraKAnderson.com, and visit the store section for more information and to place your order. You can bless the lives of many families by sending them hope, love, and peace. Check it out today at TamaraKAnderson.com and help me spread hope to the world. And we're back. I've been interviewing Sean Ray Pierre, and we have been talking about some of the amazing stories of how he was able to adopt some of his children. You know, one of the things, the questions that's been kind of buzzing around in my mind is, what? how has your perspective of God looking at his children changed since you've become a parent to so many different children? Yeah, thank you. I think that's a great question. So I, I think part of it is we get very hard on ourselves mm-hmm. and we're always harder on ourselves than we are on our children because we see we see the longer view. For ourselves, we tend to have blinders on. And we look at today or I keep failing in this one way. I keep failing in this and I can't see my own value. And I think God takes the long view and he has something we don't have. Um, and that is perspective as to what's next. You know, I mean, I'm 48 years old. I don't know what it's like to be 55. I have Mm -hmm. no idea. So to me, life kind of ends at 48. Mm -hmm. For God, it doesn't. And not only does it keep going on until hopefully I'm 80 or 90, I hope. Um, And then he also knows the eternities. Mm -hmm. Well, I know for my children, you know, when I see them too hard on themselves at 17, at 18, at 25, at 30 years old, I'm able to say, yeah, I know that's a big deal now, but you're going to get through it. I know that because you're going to make it to 40 and 45 and 48 where I am. Now, I don't have that long view that God has, but the infinite love that I feel for them and that we are going to make it through it together and you're going to be fine. And the little things, it's so funny because I'll have, you know, a 15-year-old or an 18-year-old or now even, you know, mid-20s come to me and say, oh, no, this is the end of the world. I've got this and I've got this. And I kind of roll my eyes and go, okay, that's not the end of the world. Let me help you through it. And I go, you know, part of me thinks, how could you be so short-sighted? Why do you think that's so dramatic? And then that night I'll get on my knees and say, oh God, I have this and that, and it's the end of the world. And 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 I'm sure he's going, "Uh uh-huh, that's adorable that you think that you have a big problem. And so it really gives that perspective. And and I love it. The The other thing that raising our children has done for me is, uh, you know, and you talked about it a little bit when, when I talked to you, you, you have, you have sort of an expectation for your child and you have these expectations that they're going to do X, Y, and Z. And I expect to see them. I want to go to their wedding and I want to go to their, you know, graduation from college. And I want to go to, you know, whatever. 
and it shifts your perspective. And sometimes I hear like, you know, I'll be talking to a neighbor or a friend and I don't mean to diminish their pain, but they'll be like, oh, this kid, he's not going to go to college. It's the end of the world. You know, we have failed as parents because he wants to work full time instead of going straight to college. What are we going to do? We don't sleep at night. And I go, yeah, my kid's about to get out of jail. Like we're, we're happy, you know, that we, you know, or we didn't have anyone in jail today, huge book, you know, and it gives this incredible perspective as to what matters most and gives a sense of appreciation to get there. I had to break. Mm. And I think that's one of the most beautiful blessings is when you break, when you finally can let go. Um, we went to a parenting class once that was very instructive and the guy was telling uh, a story about a woman he had taught and she went up to him and said, I just don't get this class. What you're trying to tell me is I should completely give up control over my children. And he said, oh, you've totally misunderstood the point of the class. The point of the class is you should give up on the idea you ever had control over your children. <laughs> that's, that's the misnomer. And I will never forget that. And that's what I learned is, is that I, I had all these plans and and. You know, every couple of months I'm laying down the law and here's how it's going to be. And here's what you are going to do. And the truth of the matter is before this life, we fought for agency. And, uh, and I've learned that. And I've learned to appreciate my kids' agency. I've learned to appreciate their mistakes. And I've learned to show them an increased amount of love through all that. Lots of lessons. Lots mm. of lessons. Now, you mentioned that, that you, you hit a point where you broke. Would yeah. you mind sharing that? Yeah, you know, I think there was a time, uh, you know, there are certain eras in our lives where things just get really rough. And there was a little while that I was traveling. So I work in sales. I've been in, I've been very blessed. I've never been without work, which has been a tremendous blessing for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been in the consumer electronics industry for a long time. Um, I have actually flown more than 2 million miles with Delta over the course of my career. <sighs> Um, I've been international sales. I've done us, all of it. Um, and there was a time where, where I was traveling a ton. My poor sweet wife was, was home with these kids that, I mean, it was constant destruction, screaming, you know, you've been through it, the screaming fits, broken furniture, holes in walls, you know, the threats, the stealing, the lying, the constant conniving, and it was just to the point where no one was happy. No one. The kids weren't happy. I wasn't happy. It was taking its toll on our marriage. And I was happy to be on the road, you know, mm -hmm. and it was just, it was hard. And everyone, everyone was kind of just unhappy. And that's when I realized, you know, we just, we need more of the atonement. We need more of Christ. We need to be focused more and we need to stop trying to control. I think that's what, what broke me was stopping the, the need to micromanage and control. You know, you can scream at a, a kid who's been through seeing a parent pass, which, you know, unfortunately three of our, or uh, sorry, two of our children have, um, or, you know, a child who watched his dad, you know, shoot up heroin when he was five years old and then make mm -hmm. himself breakfast, like the things they went through to think that you're going to scream at them and tell them how they're going to behave. I look back at it and I go, how nonsensical is that? 
Mm. Who was who was that who thought that might work? And I think where I broke was finally just recognizing that I needed God and I needed to understand his plan. Um, and once once I kind of broke that way, like, hey, you know what? Being unhappy doesn't work. It's not working. We might mm -hmm. as well be happy. You know, we might as well be happy because God has a plan. And it's certainly my way is not working and getting mad and yelling and being miserable and being depressed and everything else sure doesn't seem to be helping anyone, least of all me. Mm. I had an, an interesting experience one night with actually one of my um, one of my kids was had moved out of the house and I was very, very concerned about this, this child of ours. And I was in Miami, I was in a hotel room, and I was so overcome with worry, I knelt down and I just prayed and I poured my guts out. Heavenly Father, you've got to bless us that we'll know how to help this kid. What do we do? What do we do? And I was so racked with this pain and what do we do? And the Spirit came to me with a really unexpected answer. Three words. He said, he is mine. And that was it. That was the entire answer. He is mine. And as I finished my prayer and pondered it, I realized that what God was saying is, who are you to sit and freak out over this kid? He's not yours. This is earth. This is temporal. All children are mine. I am God. You relax. You take it easy, pal. Deal with your own <laughs> issues. He's mine. And I got so much peace that I called my wife and I said, hey, I was praying about this child of ours, and my wife said, that's so funny, because I was too, before I could even finish, my wife said, I was too, and I got this strong feeling that God has this. For whatever reason, I got the feeling that God has this. See, she had to be first again. So, um, <laughs> and I said, yes, I got the same thing, that, that these kids, and we forget that. And, and I think sometimes in our frustration, in our pain, in our guilt, in our depression, in our whatever, and I don't want anyone to feel worse about themselves for it, I should say for myself, there was a little bit of a lack of faith. Mm. Like, oh, no, everything's out of control. Well, two things, those two things can't be true at the same time. God has this. God is merciful. God is all aware. These are God's children. And this is totally out of control, and it's all my fault. Those two things can't coexist. They are not both true. And so we have to choose the truth that God has this. That is such a powerful shift to pause yeah. and think about that. That it takes that tremendous burden away, but it's a shift in perspective that you probably have to remind yourself of over and over All and over the time. Again. Yeah. God got God's got this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And eventually it passes, you know, and it's like, what else is going to happen? You know, right? Like you get to a point where it's like, I, you know, we survived, we've survived visiting kids in jail. We've survived kids running away and being gone for two days where we didn't know where they were. We survived finding out that a kid stole from Walmart or stole from Disney World or stole <laughs> from the neighbors. You know, we've, we've survived having kids threaten to kill us. We've survived. Once you get through all these things, you kind of go, oh, yeah, what else are we going to do? The only thing we can control is how we respond to it. And I think respecting agency has been such a blessing. Um, I was 
I was on a flight once and it was funny when I got on the flight, it was my dad's first cousin and I hadn't seen him in years, but we got seated together, which was a blessing. And we sat talking and he was telling me about my cousin who was, had gone through a really rebellious period and gone to his dad and said, dad, I don't want to go to church anymore. I don't want to live by the rules anymore. I don't want to whatever. And he said, son, I need to process this. I really need to think about this. And uh, so he called a friend of his who was older and much wiser. And he said, my son said he's not going to go to church. He's not going to have faith. He doesn't want to be a part of the family prayer, all that. And his friend said, well, what are you going to do about it? And he said, I want to say to him, son, you are living in our home. You're a teenager. You're going to go to church. You're going to go to church activities. You're going to pray. You're going to study. You are going to do all these things because you live in my home. And you don't have a choice about it. Mm-hmm. And his friend said, you know, I'm pretty sure that that plan was proposed and voted down. Why don't you try again? (laughs) (laughs) And my uncle said it hit him that all we can do is really show an increase in love and trust God to do the rest. And we don't give up. We keep instructing and we keep guiding. But now he still has such a relationship with with that child. And that was a tremendous lesson for me to learn. You know, I'd love to dive a little bit more deeper into love and what you have learned about love through all of yes. this. You know, it, it it's it's interesting. Love is not a temporary thing. Love has to be a deeper sentiment. That's one of the things I've really learned uh, through all of this process of of raising these amazing children. Is you know, and it's interesting when when children children go through what, what they call attachment disorders. And what it really is, is this child bonded with somebody and then was ripped away. And that pain was so intense. And maybe it happened multiple times that they say, I'm not going to go through that again. I will sabotage so that I never have to go through that pain again. Mm-hmm. So almost, I mean, not a hundred percent, but almost a hundred percent of the time you end up with these kids that go through a honeymoon phase and you get this, this wonderful honeymoon phase where everything's great because they're so happy to be with you. Mm-hmm. Then, uh-oh, I'm starting to feel love. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to feel attachment. And if I get ripped away from these people again, I will go through so much pain. I am going to sabotage. I'm going to prove to them they don't know what a bad kid I am. Everything's my fault. So I'm going to prove to them what a bad kid and I am going to – and then you go through – whatever amount of time for some kids, it's a year for sometimes it's kids, it's less or more. You go through hell. And I don't know another word to use to describe it, but you go through hell Mm -hmm. and they will do anything they can to break you and to show you, to prove to you, to get you to finally admit that you don't really love them. Mm -hmm. And then they get over it. And that's when the bond can actually start. But I've had kids who have screamed at me, threatening to kill me. I never want to see you again. I'm running away, whatever. And 10 minutes later, sitting in my lap, cuddling and crying and telling me how much they love me or just sitting and crying. Mm. And, and we can get caught up in the moment and say things that we don't mean in the long view. And it's important that we don't because words really matter. But now it's funny seeing all my kids grown and gone, except for the last one. 
And they still, at the end of every conversation, I love you, dad. That love is real. And love is unconditional. My gosh, I know the the scriptures teach us that, but love is so unconditional. It really is. And we have to be, we cannot bring people into our lives with conditional love. And that is one thing that I've learned. And there are people who often will say to us, man, I don't know how you guys do this. I don't think I could. Well, you're probably right. You know, Tamara, I don't think, I listened to your story and I go, I don't know if I could do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably right. We are given the challenges that we're given, but there are all kinds of scriptures about what love is and what it isn't. It's not conditional. And you can't lord it over someone. You can't hold it back and say, if you do X, then I'll love you. The only way to grow is to show so much love. And when you least want to, to give that additional measure of love, no matter how hard it is, and to keep giving that love. And love is the antidote to hate. It's the antidote to anger. It's the antidote to everything. And there have been times where we've had to say, I love you and you need to move out. Mm. I love you and this hurts me so much, but I'm calling the police. And I'm calling the police because I love you, or I'm asking you to move out because I love you, or you're grounded because I love you, or we're going to talk to the school and tell them what you stole because I love you. Mm -hmm. And you have to trust that that will come back around to you because in the moment they hate it. And they're like, oh, I'm sure you wouldn't do this. Love cannot be a weapon. It cannot be a tool. It cannot be withheld. It can only be given in abundance. And we should never, ever put ourselves in a position, not with a spouse, with a child, with a friend, with a coworker, with anything, where we are not willing to 100% give love unconditionally. If we are looking to use love as a tool, we have failed. That is Satan's Mm -hmm. plan. Satan's plan is for us to wield love. Love is not to be wielded. Love is to be given. It is to be given freely. And the more I get, the more I give to my kids, the more I get back. And we all go through different little times. I do, you do, my kids did. And so in those times where it was darkest, it was most important that they knew how much we love them. The number of times I've been on a phone call and have said, I love you, only to hear a click and hang up. <laughs> and that's okay. That has to be okay. You can't at that point go, well, I'm sorry I said I love you then. Mm-hmm. No, that's when they need to hear it most. And when it resonates, and if you can teach your kids that love is not a weapon, love cannot be wielded. Yeah, it's critical, but you love on such a deeper level. You love because you see their pain. And we knew my own pride, my own ego would get in the way of it. But I knew what, what these kids had been through. I knew what their lives had been. And unfortunately, I'm sure sometimes I contributed to that. There were times where I acted out of my own ego, my own pride. And, and it was time for me to apologize to them. And uh, something that's really hard for me to think about, but I believe that someday, I only know my kids after the pain they went through. Mm -hmm. But someday in the next life, I am going to see them for who they are without that pain and without all that armor that they put on. And I am going to ask for their forgiveness for my shortcomings as their father. I'm going to ask them if they'll please forgive me because I didn't know, I didn't really understand. And that flips everything upside down, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the same thing as, you know, yeah, we're the parents and whatever, 
but I still have to appear before my parents, before my God, before my Savior, and I have to go and I have to ask for grace from those children. And thankfully, right now, at least in this moment, they're all speaking to me and they all still say, I love you, Dad, at the end of every conversation. And they all hug me and they all love me, thankfully. Mm-hmm. But I'm still going to have that moment. And mm-hmm. gosh, we should just never, it's just that reminder to never say something that we can't take back. Wow, that's powerful. Now, I can't imagine that this love was something that you just snapped your fingers and instantly had. Um <laughs> What what did you do or how did God bless you? What did that process look like to get to that level of love? I, I think in the scriptures, they call it charity, but um, how did you do that? Like I'm sitting here going, oh my word, that is such a deep level of understanding of love and compassion and all that. Yeah, how, how, how did that process, what did it look like for you? So I think part of it is believing in the eternal nature of the soul and believing in God having a plan. So in the same way that you love a baby, and I've gotten to watch two babies come into my family and I've been able to say those are mine. Mm -hmm. In the same way, when an adopted child comes in, no matter how hard they are, there is that sense that this was somehow, I don't know how it all works, but agreed to before we came here, we knew this was going to happen. We were just meeting up a different way. Mm-hmm. And that knowledge and that knowledge that, that life is short and temporary and that the, the eternities together would be so long and that we can have these relationships forever and that our souls go on forever. That eternal perspective is what gives the, is what gives that love I, I've I've had, and it, it's funny, it used to somewhat offend me. Uh, now it doesn't offend me at all because I realize it's, a, it's just a different understanding. But people would say, well, you can't love your adopted children the way that you love your birth children, can you? And I say, I don't love my two birth children the same way. I love them differently. And I love each of my adopted children differently. However, I cannot put love on a scale. I can't weigh love. I love them differently. And that's all I can say, but it comes in those times and it comes in the time forgiveness breeds love. And, you know, my kids have messed up at times when I forgive, I feel that love. That's Christ-like love. When I ask for their forgiveness, I feel their love and that's how love grows. And then spending time together. And I love that. I love things about them. You know, one of my adopted daughters, you know, I, I had a coworker who passed away last week very suddenly and it, it hit me pretty hard. And she knew that that night she brought me flowers and ice cream. How much do I love that? (laughs) You know, I mean, that was love. And so you continue to build up, but again, it's knowing and the, the truest thing I've ever heard about any parenting, uh, for you, for me, for anyone is that the days are long and the years are short. Mm-hmm. And that is the most truthful thing I can imagine about parenting. There were days that, you know, I would say, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. I can't see. And the screaming's been happening for hours and this is miserable and everyone's unhappy and holy cow, it's 5.30 PM. And it was the worst thing in the world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then I look back and I talking about that one and two year old who are 24 and 25 now. And I go, when did that happen? 
Mm-hmm. And it goes by and it creates that eternal perspective. I think the biggest thing as far as growing love is deciding to love and not giving up. And again, mm-hmm. knowing that it, and drawing it out that for myself, that this love is unconditional. I'm going to give it to you and that's it. And I can't take it back. And no matter what you ever do, I will never take it away from you. I'm giving you this love as a gift the same way that the Savior gives us his love. And I think that's how it begins to grow. And then you have good experiences and you love things about them and you laugh at other things about them. And there are things that drive you nuts that you still love about them, even though it's quirky. And thank heavens, my wife puts up with my stupidity and my garbage all the time and sometimes even laughs about it and sometimes kind of loves things about me that I'm sure other people are like, wow, (laughs) talk about, I don't know how you do it. People say that I think to my wife all the time, but it's, that's how you grow that love. The truth is if you want love, give it and just give it unconditionally. Do not wield it. It cannot be wielded. And if we've wielded love, If we're trying to teach someone a lesson by withholding love for a little while, I'm doing, Mm -hmm. I'm withholding love for your own good. My gosh, we've gotten off track. We have gotten so far off track. No, we can withhold and we've protected ourselves. There have been times where like, we cannot have you live in our home and we love you so much. What Mm -hmm. can we do? And give that love. And that love is there no matter what. There have been times that our kids have been surprised that we still love them. Good. Mm -hmm. Let it be surprising. Love should be Mm -hmm. surprising. Great. It is always there. And now I know that they know that they can't outrun our love. They can't bad behave out of our love. They can't, it doesn't matter what they do. The love, that's table stakes. That is there no matter what. I love that phrase. They can't outrun your love. (laughs) They can't outrun it. They can't out bad behavior it. They can't, even if they hate us, we love you. Wow. That is, that's so amazing and incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I just have to ask, um, through all of this, have you found a Bible verse that has just really resonated or inspired you or helped you, uh, giving you a different perspective? Yeah, I, I am a huge fan of the Sermon on the Mount. I love the Sermon on the Mount because there's a promise in there. There are several promises. It talks about the poor in spirit. It talks about, you know, if if you mourn, you'll be comforted. There's a lot about if you will give, give, give way to yourself. Like if you'll, if you'll let go of your own desires, then you're going to get more than what you would have gotten. If you, you know, if you're poor in spirit, you get the kingdom. If you try to get the kingdom, then you're going to be poor. You know, there's a lot of that. (laughs) Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. But for some reason, if you don't mourn with others, you're not going to be comforted by the spirit and by other there's, there's so many things, but, but I think my favorite, (laughs) um, Matthew five, verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. I love that scripture. And I've learned so much about that seek for peace. And, and, you know, when you seek for peace in a family, um, there is no peace in being right. There is no peace in winning. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. If we want to be the children of God, 
we will seek for peace and we will make peace. It doesn't say the peace acceptors. It says the peacemakers. Mm-hmm. Blessed are the peace. Peacemaking is an active term. It's something you have to do. And I think that only if we are the peacemakers, if we're trying for peace, not complacency, and it doesn't mean that you look past what your kids are doing or look past the bad behaviors of, of a friend or a spouse or a parent or whatever. It doesn't mean that. It means you strive for peace. And what is peace? Peace is the savior. Peace is the atonement. And that is the way that you kneel down at night and you are the children of God. And when you pray, no, you cannot pray and say, hey, my son or my daughter or my spouse tried to do this, and Heavenly Father, you'd be so proud. I belittled them, and I shamed them, and I was right, and I won. No, you lost. Mm-hmm. Blessed are the peacemakers. Two big parts to that. Peace and makers. Did I make peace? Did I make peace in my home? Are my kids able to feel the spirit? And oftentimes, after the biggest blow up, the meltdown, the kicking the, I'm never going to see you again. I'm going to run after the running away. Sometimes it's that sitting in a chair and holding them. And sometimes I held 17 and 18 year old grown children and just rocked and scratched backs and told them how much we loved them and told them how wonderful they were and told them that I understood how painful life must be and shared with them some of my pains and tried to bring peace. And it's those times when I felt like a child of God in the most pure way. Whereas there were other times that my ego got involved and how dare you, and you're gonna this and that and whatever. And guess what? There was no peace. Pride is the antithesis of God. So I love that scripture and blessed are the peacemakers. And that includes being an angel for others. Mm -hmm. As we've had people who have created peace in our home, who have come and picked up our children at times I, I got a call from a former young men's leader just the other day that one of my kids who has moved out and mm-hmm. is going through some struggles called him and FaceTimed him. And he oh. FaceTimed with my son for 20 minutes. He hasn't been his leader in six or seven years. Mm-hmm. Blessed are the peacemakers mm-hmm. and people who knew people who would be out for a walk with their dog and would see the police out in front of our house. And maybe one of our kids being dragged away in handcuffs or whatever, and then would call an, an hour or two later, yeah, it's doing all right, and would bring a loaf of zucchini bread or whatever. <laughs> and wouldn't ask questions, just, I hope you know we love you. Blessed are the peacemakers. I've just learned that that's, that's the one thing I want. I want to be a peacemaker. I want to be the, the child of God. That's what I want in my life. Oh, my goodness. Wow. You know, you have learned some very profound lessons. Um, through your up and down journey in life. And thank you for being willing to share those with us today. And um, I know there's going to be people that are going to want to find you online and connect with you. How do they do that? Why don't you tell us a little bit about how they can find you and where they can listen to more of Sean? (laughs) There's plenty of Sean to be listened to. Um, No, I, uh, I, I would say, and I need to get this in before I plug myself. I, this has been a, a little bit of a running theme, but I cannot overstate the importance of a strong marriage. And my wife is my absolute rock of Gibraltar. She is a solid rock. And my kids know it. They know that dad can be a pushover and dad can be swayed and dad can be whatever. 
and my wife is solid, solid in her love, solid in her patience, no nonsense. She is the reason that we still have relationships, that we still have everything. And the reason I have sanity, I have no clue what this woman saw me to, to begin with. And I have zero idea how she has stuck with me for all these many years. But I will tell you that my kids, my kids would tell you, yeah, dad's a little bit of a weirdo, but mom, mom is solid. And I just love my wife and, and she is just amazing. If people want to hear more of my yammering, uh, which I'm pretty sure my wife does not, but if people want to hear more of me, uh, I do have a podcast that I've been doing for a little over three years. It's called Latter Day Lives. And uh, I interview people from our faith. We call it uh, conversations with fascinating people who happen to be members of our faith, uh, which, you know, what a blessing to have you on the show. But we've had on actors and singers and authors and then just people with an interesting life story, people who, you know, former drug addicts or people have turned around their lives through through Christ. And that's incredibly uh, moving. And I've met some incredible people. And then the other thing is, and this is really bizarre, but if you like good barbecue, <laughs> I'm part of a competition. I, I, we are a competition barbecue team on Instagram. It's called Gabacue, G-A-B-B-A-C-U-E. And we do competition barbecue. We compete uh, all over the place. We competed in St. George two weeks ago. We'll be down in Vegas in a few weeks. And so that's how I keep my sanity is doing competition barbecue. But Latter Day Lives has a, uh, we have an Instagram page and a Facebook page. And I will say it is not, you know, for people just of our faith, uh, which, you know, people might say, oh, I'm not of your faith. We actually have quite a listening base of people that are not only, you know, not specifically part of our faith, are, are you know, Christians, but I have listeners who are atheists, who are um, I have two listeners uh, who I know who write to me somewhat regularly who are devout Jews, and it's really an uplifting, just fascinating place where people testify of how faith has affected their lives, and they talk about talk about their lives. It's a fun, fun show. That is so awesome. Okay, before we close, you have to tell me your favorite thing to barbecue. <laughs> That, that's a great question. You know, it's, it's funny. My go-to probably is whole chicken. I like doing whole chicken. So yeah, I do a, a a kind of chicken. This is at least once a week where you, you split it in half. You basically cut out the backbone and then you can either, you know, crack the rib and, and, but I hang it. I actually put it on hooks and I hang it over fire, over wood and, uh, and I, I smoke chicken that way. That's probably my favorite. It's simple. Mm. It's easy. It's, you know, and it's so delicious. Just love a good smoked chicken. And now I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of these times when, when COVID's all done, we'll have you guys over and we'll barbecue. It's, it's a lot of fun. So, Oh, my goodness. Well, Sean Rapier, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story of hope. I have just been so motivated and I think I've learned so much, especially about love and being a peacemaker. So thank you for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for all you're doing. It's interesting, as you know, it's a little different being on this side of the microphone. Yes, it is. Uh, we're not we're not used to opening ourselves up as much. So thank <laughs> you for the opportunity. Thanks for all the wonderful work you do. I learn so much from you as well. So thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you like what you heard, subscribe so you can get your weekly dose of powerful stories of hope. 
I know there are many of you out there who are going through a hard time, and I hope you found useful things that you can apply to your own life in today's podcast. If you would like to access the show notes of today's show, please visit my website, storiesofhopepodcast.com. There you will find a summary of today's show, the transcript, and one of my favorite takeaways. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this episode with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a quote or a scripture verse that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this podcast. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help you bear the burden. And above all else, remember God loves you.